Good morning. It is so good to be back here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to share with you a little bit about the mission work that we are a part of, and then after that we'll also bring the the message, open God's Word for you today. My name is Ben Jory. I am a missionary working with the Unfolding Word Project, and my family is here with me today. My wife, Adela, is back there. Our four-year-old, Stefan. Stefan, can you wave? He is all boy. Uh, Give him cars and give him dirt, and he is happy. We have a a one-and-a-half-year-old, Sabina. She is going on 13. She is all girl. Give her pink and purple high heels and purses, and she is in heaven. It's hardwired in, I'm pretty sure. And then we are expecting one more, uh, baby number three, in November. There is a knock on the door. As we opened the door, the African sunlight blinded us. Once our eyes adjusted, we found a very short, very old Tanzanian man standing there with a huge grin on his face. He had about four or five teeth on the top and about that many on the bottom, and he just stood there grinning. Well, I was in Tanzania as a missionary. I was teaching at a Bible school with my co-worker, Jesse, and we kind of looked at each other and said, Hi. And he introduced himself. He said, hi, I'm evangelist so-and-so. I heard that there were some Americans teaching at the Bible school here. I wanted to come and meet them. So he said, well, come on in. Have a seat. We sat down. We ended up talking for several hours with the man. And he ended up telling us some of his life story. He said, I was born a pagan. I didn't know anything about Jesus. But then in 1960, Billy Graham came to Tanzania. And I heard about this great American preacher, and I said, you know what, i got to hear this guy. So I took a journey, it took me several days to get to where he was going to be preaching, and I went there and I went to his crusade. And God did a work in my heart, and I was saved. I went back home, and I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I went to my family, I told them about Jesus. I went to my friends, I told them about Jesus. I went to my neighbors, I went to everybody in my village. Pretty soon we've got a whole bunch of believers, led a bunch of them to the Lord. We started a church, and then I started going to the next village, and the next village, and the next village. And he continued to tell us that for 50 years, 5-0, he had continued to do that. He had been all over the region doing evangelistic meetings, talking to people one-on-one, telling them about Jesus. Planted so many churches, he couldn't even remember all of them. Led so many people to the Lord, he couldn't, there's no way he could count all of them. An incredible man of God. And again, Jesse and I were just looking at each other saying, what in the world? We were blown away. And so I asked him, I said, sir, how, how can you account for that? How, how did that happen? He said, when I went forward at the Billy Graham uh, evangelistic crusade, he said, God lit a fire in my heart, and I can't stop telling people about Jesus. Our scripture lesson for today comes from Psalm 96. David is presumably the author of this psalm, and he was king at this time. And as you may know, his reign was full of wars and battles, a lot of bloodshed. Uh, But at this time, God had given him peace. David had captured Jerusalem. He had made it his political headquarters. And now it was time to make it the religious headquarters as well. 
Now, the epicenter of worship for Judaism at that time was the tabernacle. It was a temple. There was a tent so that it could be moved. It was portable. Uh, Moses had built it about 500 years earlier, and it had been traveling with the Israelites ever since. And so David was was going to move the tabernacle and especially the most holy artifact there, the Ark of the Covenant, from where it was to the new capital, Jerusalem. And this was a huge deal. David invited all of the priests, and they were all decked out in their robes. He invited all of the Levites. He invited all of the army. He invited all of the nation of Israel. And they came, and there was such excitement. Uh, First Chronicles captures the scene a little bit when it says, So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets, and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. You can hear the excitement and the noise and the buzz that's going on. And so they proceed to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. They put it in the tabernacle and they offer all of these sacrifices and they throw this huge feast and they sing this psalm. So if you would, and as you are able, I would invite you to stand as we read. The the sermon will be from just verse 3, but I would like to read verses 1 through 6. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6. We read in Jesus' name. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And again, verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are glorious, that you deserve glory. And Lord, as we open up your word now and as we try to understand it, would you open our hearts and our minds that we might understand? Lord, would you convict us where conviction is needed? Would you encourage us where encouragement is needed? We thank you, Lord, that we can meet freely in this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We learn three lessons from our text today. First of all, we see the command. And the command is verbalize your faith. Declare his glory among the nations. Now, first of all, we've got to see that this command is for everybody. As the Ark of the Covenant is being brought up to the tabernacle in Jerusalem, the, everybody was singing this song. They're singing it to each other. You declare the glory of God. Declare the glory of God. This was not a psalm just for David. It's not a command just for the king. It was not a command just for the prophets or just for the priests or just for the Levites. This was a command for everyone. If you believe in God, your command is to declare the glory of God. And the command is declare. It means to make known or to announce, report or to tell. In other words... Open your mouth. Use your mouth to tell people about God. Verbalize your faith. Now, let's be honest. How easy is that? 
How many people wake up in the morning and the first thing on your mind is, man, I wonder who I can tell about Jesus today. And they just get excited about it. There are people like that. Uh, I have a, a friend, a lady, who loves telemarketers, absolutely adores telemarketers. She doesn't care at all what they're selling, but she's listening just enough to try to find an in so she can talk to them about Jesus. Uh, that's what she lives for. I don't think that's most of us. I think most of us, when we have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, we get a little nervous. And if you're like me, maybe your knees start shaking a little bit, get a knot in your stomach, your voice starts to quiver a little bit. It's not easy. And unfortunately... Instead of working through that fear and confronting it and doing what we need to do anyways, don't we tend to make excuses? We tend to make excuses and try and get ourselves off the hook. Excuses like, well, I'll just live a good Christian life and that will be my part. Just set a good Christian example and that will be my witness. Or, well, I'll give money. I'll give extra money to the church and maybe even some to the missionary and that will be my part. Or some people say, it's not my part at all. Isn't that why we hired pastor? If somebody's going to tell somebody about Jesus, that's pastor's job. Some people say, well, I'll just pray. Or I'll just give them a Bible. Anything but using my mouth to tell people about Jesus. Many of these are good. Uh, Giving people a Bible, praying, giving money to the church. Those are all good things. But that doesn't get us off the hook. That we must use our mouth to declare the glory of God. Why do you think it's so important that we use words, that we use our mouth? I think we find the answer in Romans 10:17 that says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, if our goal is for people to be saved, the way that happens is by faith. You can't be saved without faith. But the way you get faith You have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the word of God. And you can't hear the word of God unless someone tells you. And that's why it's so important that everybody be telling the word of God with their mouth so that people can hear, so that people can believe, so that people can be saved. Declare the glory of God to the nations. So first we saw the command is to verbalize your faith. And second, we see the subject. And the subject of our message is the glory of God. Now we talk a lot about the glory of God. What is it? Every Christmas we talk about the glory shown round about the shepherds and the the angels said glory to God in the highest. And how many of our songs talk about how glorious God is or glorify thy name or glory. What is glory? It's a massive topic. And I'm sure Pastor Franz could spend months, if not years, diving into a sermon series on the intricacies of glory. But unfortunately, we don't have that much time. So today I'm going to give you two basic aspects of glory. First of all, glory refers to the greatness of God, to his splendor, to his majesty, his awesomeness, his beauty and his power. And when you compare God to the idols, you very quickly realize that there is no comparison. That God is uncreated and idols are a chunk of wood or a chunk of stone. Idols can't create anything. God has created the entire universe. God can talk 
idols can't. There is no comparison. And that is what the next verses in our text say. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. When we take a look at creation, again, we begin to get a small glimpse of the greatness of our God. Look at the beauty of a flower or of a waterfall or of a sunset. Or look at the massiveness of the earth. And then you realize that the earth is just a tiny little speck revolving around this massive sun. And then you realize that this massive sun is really just one tiny little star among billions in our galaxy. And then you realize that our galaxy is only one tiny little galaxy among billions of galaxies. And all of a sudden your mind starts to grow and you begin to realize there must be a massive all-powerful, all-knowing God behind this. And you begin to realize and see the glory of God. And I think that's what the psalmist was talking about uh, in Psalm 19.1 when he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. But we see, too, that God's glory almost always accompanies His presence. Wherever God is, His glory is there as well. And oftentimes that uh, humans see that as light or as fire or as a cloud. Take, for instance, Mount Sinai. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God came down upon Mount Sinai and his presence came on Mount Sinai. And it says that there was thunder and lightning and smoke and an earthquake and a loud trumpet blast and fire. That was the glory of God. And when Moses was up there, he asked God, he said, God, let me see your face. Let me see your glory. And God said, no way. If you saw all of it, it would kill you. But I tell you what, I will put you on the cleft of the rock and I will put my hand over your face and I will pass by you saying my name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in love. And when I am past, I will take my hand down and you can see my back. And when God did that, the gloriousness, the awesomeness of God's back was so overwhelming that Moses' face lit up like a light bulb. And for days afterwards, people ran away from him. They were terrified of him because his face was shining. The glory of God was so great. It was so intense just by looking at his back. Where God's presence is, there is his glory. Moses came down the mountain and they built the tabernacle. And when they dedicated the tabernacle, the presence of God came upon the tabernacle. And it came as a cloud. And it was so thick and so full that the priests could not even go into the tabernacle to perform their duties. And after the dedication, that cloud of God's presence remained. By day it was a pillar of cloud, and by night it was a pillar of fire. And it, it led the Israelites around the wilderness for 40 years. The glory of God refers to the greatness of God, His splendor, His majesty, His awesomeness, His beauty, His power. Second, we see that the glory of God refers to the miraculous works of God, especially his acts of salvation, his miraculous acts of salvation on behalf of his people. Rewind a few years before and the Israelites were in Egypt, a few months before. The Israelites were in Egypt and they were slaves there. God's people, slaves. 
And so God went and did battle against Pharaoh and against the gods of the Egyptians. And it was an all-out war. And ten times God struck the Egyptians and He struck them with plagues. And He set His people free. But throughout the whole entire narrative, God was constantly saying, I am doing this to gain glory for my name. And indeed, hundreds of years later, and even today, thousands of years later, we still talk about the salvation that God brought for His people Israel. Gaining glory for God's name. But we don't see the glory of God any more clearly than in His Son, Jesus Christ. We already talked about the angels. When, they, when Jesus' birth was announced, they declared glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds saw the glory of God all around them. And God became a man. And God was present with man. And John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God revealed His own glory to us by sending His Son Jesus. He revealed Himself. God was now with man. Though for most of the time that Jesus was on earth, you would never know it. He looked just like an ordinary guy. He got tired, he sweat, he needed to eat, he was hungry. He was a normal guy most of the time. It's like there was curtains covering that glory, that awesomeness of God. But throughout his life, there were several times when the curtains were pulled back a little bit and you could catch a glimpse of the glory of God. Every time Jesus did a miracle, the curtains were pulled back a little bit and you could see the glory of God. When Jesus healed the blind man, you all of a sudden saw the power of God. Or when Jesus walked on water, or when he took the bread, the loaves, and turned them into enough food for 5,000. You get to see a little picture, a little glimpse of the greatness and the awesomeness of God. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, the curtains come off entirely. And the glory of God is seen in Jesus. You remember that? Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus. And it says, as Jesus was praying, his face, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothes became dazzling white. Moses and Elijah came. And the cloud came down with God the Father. And God says, this is my beloved son. And it says, they saw his glory. The curtains were torn back and they saw Jesus as he was. And the three disciples were so terrified, they fell on the ground like dead men. They could not handle what they were seeing. But the glory of God in Jesus cannot be seen any more clearly than in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We see God's miraculous acts to save His people at the cross, where you deserved to die, where your sins demanded that you be placed on that cross and that you spend eternity in hell for transgressing God's law. But God swooped in, Jesus swooped in, and He took your place, and He saved you so that you could be free from your sin, so that you could be free from death, So that you could be free to believe. So that you could be free to be called a child of God. So that you could be free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that you could be free to spend eternity with Him. Jesus 
shows his miraculous salvation on the cross. But then we see the miraculous, the overwhelming power of God in the resurrection. That Jesus did not stay dead, but three days later, he rose from the dead. And we see that God has power over sin. That when Jesus said that I will pay for your sins on the cross, he rose from the dead to prove that it's true. That Jesus has power over sin. And that Jesus has power over death itself. When he rose from the dead, death could not even hold on to Jesus. Jesus broke free. And Jesus has power over Satan, that ancient serpent. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he crushed the head of Satan, that ancient serpent, and proved that Jesus has authority over all things. A few days later, Jesus returned to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. He was crowned as king where he is ruling even now over his kingdom above all powers and authorities. And Jesus sat down as king and master and Lord of the universe. But one day we will see the glory of God again. Jesus will come back a second time. And he will come back. And this time it says he will come back in glory. The curtains will be gone. And the light and the lightning and the thunder and the fire and the awe and the majesty will all be there. And he will come back and he will right every wrong. He will separate the sheep from the goats. And every knee will bow and every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will take his children to live with him forever. There will be no more crying, and there will be no more suffering, and there will be no more pain. And Jesus says that He will share His glory with us. That glory that has forever only been God's, He will share with His children. And we will live with Him forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the message that we have to share with the nations. That our God is great. He is the creator of the universe. He is the God of the universe. He is the King of kings. And He loves you. That He sent His Son to die for you, to take your place, so that you can spend eternity with Him. That is the message that we are to proclaim to the nations. The glory of God, His greatness, as well as His salvation. The command is to use your mouth, to verbalize your faith. The subject is the glory of God. And the audience is all the nations. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Now for the Israelites who were standing there, at the dedication of the tabernacle, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. When they heard that, immediately they were thinking the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, anybody who was not a descendant of, of Jacob. That's what they were thinking. And they hated the Gentiles. They thought they were dogs. They were worthless. It wasn't worth anybody's time to spend any amount of time with them. But God says, no, I love them. Bring the message to them. And today, the nations as well refer to the ends of the earth. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus reiterates this command over and over again, as in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's not good enough if we get 50% of languages having God's Word. It's not good enough if we get 99% of people groups who have heard about Jesus. Not even 99.9% is good enough. Jesus wants everybody to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation that He has won for them. As it stands right now, less than 10% of the languages of the world have a Bible. There are literally hundreds of millions of people around the globe who have never heard the name of Jesus. There's a lot of work still left to be done. There is a huge need for missionaries to go to the ends of the earth, to give up the luxuries of life here, the comforts of our nice, cushy life here in the States, and to go overseas and to bring the gospel to those who have never heard. But it is also true that God has brought many of the nations right here to us. And even here in Minneapolis, how many different ethnic groups, how many different nationalities are represented, how many different languages. Go to a hospital sometime and listen. Go to a mall. Go to the grocery store and just listen. There are so many nations that have come to us. What a mission field. But sometimes the mission field isn't those people out there. Sometimes the nations are the people we're closest to, isn't it? Our co-workers, our classmates, our friends, our neighbors, those who don't know Jesus. And yes, sometimes the nations are our own family members, those who don't know of Jesus. And so today, God is calling you to open your mouth, to declare His glory among the nations. Perhaps he's calling you to go to the ends of the earth, to leave your home and go to some God-forsaken place. Perhaps God is calling you to go to the nations that have come to us, to the universities, to Minneapolis. Perhaps God is calling you to go to your friends and to your neighbors, to your boss, to your co-workers. Perhaps God is calling you today to go to a family member and to tell them the glory of God. Where is God calling you today? God commands every Christian to verbally make known the glory of God, both his greatness and his salvation to those who do not believe. There was a knock on the door. The unbeliever opened the door and there was his Christian friend. He had come over and that day that Christian friend shared about God's glory, about God's salvation with this unbeliever. And that day, God did a miracle in that unbeliever's heart, and he was saved. And about 60 years later, my grandfather is still walking with Jesus. He was able to lead his parents to the Lord, many of his relatives, and by God's grace, all of his children, all of his grandchildren, and all of his great-grandchildren are walking with Jesus. He has had a prison ministry. He has witnessed to dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years. Why? Obviously, first and foremost, is the grace of God. God has been very gracious to him and blessed him. But it's also true that way back at the beginning, some no-name Christian was faithful 
to open his mouth and to declare the glory of God to my grandpa. It wasn't some evangelist. It wasn't Billy Graham. It wasn't some huge spiritual giant. It was an ordinary Christian, just like you and me. So I ask you today, where is God calling you? I don't know, but I do know this much for sure, that God has called you to open your mouth and to declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the greatness of our God, that You are glorious, that You are almighty, that You are King of the universe. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness right now to open our mouths and to declare your glory among the nations. Lord, would you open our eyes to see what nations it is that you have called us to. Lord, may we be obedient to your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the great salvation that you have purchased for us and that one day you are coming back and that we will spend eternity with you and that we will partake of your glory. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.